All right, we are uh, entering into what is traditionally in the church known as Lent, which is the period leading up to Easter. And uh, what we're going to do for the next uh, couple of months as we head towards Easter is dive into the upper room. Uh, the upper room uh, discourse, as it's known sometimes, is John 13 through 17. And this is uh, based off the very last meal Jesus had before he was crucified. Uh, the upper room in John 13 starts with Jesus having less than 24 hours to live. And he gathers his disciples around uh, for one last meal. And during that meal, he spends time teaching them. And you can imagine if you knew you had less than 24 hours to live, and that you gathered some of your closest friends around, that your words would be very powerful, that your words would carry a lot of meaning, that they would be some of the deepest words that, that you might share. And, and this is what's flowing out of the mouth of Jesus during this upper room discourse. And so we're going to enter in this upper room with, along with Jesus and his disciples, and we're just going to open our hearts to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us, as we dive into some of the final words of Jesus. And so we begin in John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That Jesus loved his own to the end. And his own would be the disciples. His own would be every single person the Father brought in front of him. Uh, because Jesus uh, was God in the flesh. And God in the flesh as a human, uh, he didn't have the time and energy to love every person equally. Uh, he only had limited energy, limited time. But every single person that came into his path, he loved them to the end. You talk about the Canaanite woman who came and Jesus healed his daughter. You talk about the, the woman at the well who was an outcast, a Samaritan. Jesus uh, built into her. Uh, the woman whom uh, the, the religious leaders wanted to stone to death because she was caught in adultery. Jesus comes and loves her and frees her. And on and on again, we see Jesus loving people to the very end. In this passage today, we're going to see that Jesus invites us in to love like him. To love each and every person that comes into our path. To be able to love that person to the end. To love like Jesus. And then it says the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And so in this last gathering of Jesus, there is one whom Satan had tempted to betray Jesus. And, and Judas, of course, was bought for 30 pieces of silver. And he was going to betray Jesus and lead the religious leaders and, and the soldiers to go arrest him. And John again, it says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. You see, the desire of the devil, of Satan, of, of evil spirits, is to always rob anything, uh, to kill, steal, and destroy anything where he sees love and life. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring life, and he came to love people to the end. And whenever the enemy sees anything that looks uh, like it's full of love and full of life, the enemy wants to destroy that. And so Jesus, uh, or the, the Satan looking at the ministry of Jesus, seeing uh, just how much love he had for people, how much life he was bringing to people, 
uh, Satan was wanting to come in and destroy that. So he, he gets a hold of Judas to betray Jesus. And Satan does the same thing to you and, and me. Anything in our life that smells of love and life, Satan will want to come and kill, steal, and destroy that. If he sees our marriage being filled with love and life, he's wanna, he wants to get in there. If he sees this church being filled with love and life, he wants to get in there. If he sees us drawing closer to God and being filled with more love and life, Satan will want to try to get in there. And that is why the Bible tells us that we need to be aware of his schemes. He is like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. And as the Bible says, we are to resist him. And he flees from us. And we resist him by just walking close with Jesus and being aware of his schemes. Now, now this idea of uh, the devil tempting Judas is important to this passage, and, and we're going to see why. Then it says this in John 13:3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, Jesus knew exactly who he was. There was no doubt in his mind who he was. I mean, he goes on later and says, all things, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Or I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Or John 10, I and the Father are one. The Father is in me and I in the Father. I mean, Jesus knew exactly who he was. And the question is, is do you? Uh, do you know who you are? Uh, I mean, who, who are you as a person? Is it? What you just simply think about yourself, is that who you are? Is it what uh, the people around you say? A negative or positive, is, is that who you are? Is it what your parents uh, told you that you were? Is that who you are? Uh, are you what you do uh, for a living or don't do for a living or whatever? Are, are you, is it based on doing? Uh, well, if you're a child of God, you should have no doubt who you are. I mean, the Bible is very clear on who we are in God. We are God's dearly loved children. We know that God is with us. We know that we're not under condemnation. We know we're forgiven. We know we are God's masterpiece. We are his saints. And we have every spiritual blessing. We have new hearts. We are chosen. We are adopted. And this actually brought God great glory and happiness, it says. Great, great joy. I mean, this is who we are. Uh, you cannot let the world define who you are. You cannot let what your own thoughts say about yourself define who you are. Because the one who has the final authority on your value and worth is, is God. And it's what God says. And so if anything contradicts what God says about you, you know who's wrong. And it's not God. <laughs> it's you or what your friends are saying or what someone else thinks about you. I mean, your value and worth is settled in Jesus. And again... There is so much life and love that flows when you understand who you are in Christ. And Satan will always be tempting to kill, steal, and destroy what God says about you. To get you to believe a lie about yourself. Because once you start believing that you're not a child of God who is loved and forgiven and blessed and you bring God great joy, all of a sudden you just begin to crumble and you fall into Satan's trap. I mean, there is one who has ultimate authority in this world, and it is God, and he says, you are loved, Amen. and you're forgiven, and you are blessed in him. You need to, to live into that, and, and it's incredibly important, and, and we're going to find out why here in a moment. The text goes on. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that all 
uh, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. And so he, he wraps a towel around his waist, which was the, the clothing uh, of a servant, of a slave, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, back in those days, if you went over to someone's house, at least if you went to someone, uh, a house that, w that was well off or a rich place, they would always ask you, hey, would you like your feet washed? Uh, just like we, when someone comes over to our house, we would say, you know, let me take your coat or you want a drink. Uh, in those days, if you were in a rich household, they would ask, do you want your feet washed? And if you said yes, the host wouldn't do it themselves. They would call like the greenhorn newbie slave in because that was their job. Because it was one of the lowest tasks for the lowest of slaves. Because, I mean, I mean, we tend to have cleaner feet in these days because we have shoes. But in those days, they had sandals. And they had dusty streets. And they had chamber pots that were thrown out into the alleys. And you walk through stuff. And, I mean, your feet were dirty. Uh, and, they, and they were, you know, disgusting, if you will. And, and so you needed your feet washed at times. And so they're having this meal. And Jesus gets up. And he takes the position of a greenhorn, lowest slave, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. The disciples don't ask to wash Jesus' feet. In fact, there's no sign that they ever did wash Jesus' feet in this text. But Jesus begins to wash their feet. And, and, and this is really mind-blowing because, I mean, it's hard for us because we don't understand the culture. Uh, but maybe it's, it's simple enough just to think about you trying to wash someone's feet. I mean... I mean, we were just like, I don't know, I don't want to do that. But, uh, I mean, they had dirty feet. It, it would be like, like the Queen of England, you know, coming over to your house and saying, hey, you know, I'm just here to wash your toilets. <laughs> and let's say you just haven't cleaned your toilets in a long, long time. And she comes over and just says, you know, and you just say, you can't do that. I mean, you're, you have too much of a position. You can't do that. You're too worthy. I mean, that's just dishonoring to you to, to wash my toilets. But, uh, but Jesus is even grander than the king or the queen. I mean, Colossians uh, chapter 1, I should say, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I mean, Jesus is the king of kings. Uh, he's the creator. Uh, he is beyond everything and anything we could ever imagine. And here he is doing the thing that only the, the lowest of slaves would do, which no other disciple in the room would ever do. And he takes off his garment, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins to wash these dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. Now, how can he do that? Well, it says right here, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I mean, Jesus knew who he was. He knew he didn't have to prove anything. He knew he couldn't lose anything. So he was actually free to love his disciples. He was completely free to take on the lowest position possible and do something very humbly because he knew that wasn't going to take from his status because he knew who he was. And this is why it's important that we know who we are. Because when you know who you are, you are actually free to love people. 
Because you know your value is not worth in what someone says. As soon as you get out of your position of who you are in Jesus, all of a sudden you fail to be free to love people. Because all of a sudden things like this happen. When you fail to get your value and worth from God, uh, you don't serve those who don't love you back. Because that robs you of your worth. But when your worth is in God and know who you are, you can serve those who don't love you back because it doesn't cause you to be any less. When you don't get your value worth from God, you won't do something that's beneath you. I never wash feet. I never pick up garbage that's coming to the church because they don't know who I am. But if you know who you are, then you know that picking up trash or doing something like washing someone's feet does not lessen your value at all because your value is found in Jesus, not in what you do. We will tend to do things for show and the praise of others because I get my worth by what people say about me, not from God. Uh, you'll be critical of other people's successes, or you'll be happy for others when they, when they fail, because when they fail, you look better. And when you're critical about someone else, you tear them down so that you might feel better about yourself. And you're trying to derive your value and your worth from something other than God. And you're not free to love. Uh, you won't be able to celebrate the success of others. Uh, we will always be looking for thanks or praise, or uh, we'll always have to win an argument. And in the end, you're just not free to love. Until you realize that your value and worth is in God. When you realize you are so loved and you're so valuable and you're so forgiven that you don't have to prove anything and you can't lose anything, all of a sudden you are willing to do things like wash someone's feet. Because you know when you do a humble task, even if someone looks down at you like, oh, I guess you just must not be very special in this world, you know that's not true. You know that it can't affect you because the final authority of who you are is what God says about you. And so this sets us up to be free to love. And why was Jesus so free to love the tax collector and the sinner? Why was he so free to love? Because he knew who he was. And the more you realize who you are in God, the more free you are to love. And the reality is, in Jesus, we are so free. You're just free to love. He has set you free to love. That's what it says in Galatians. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in, again in slavery. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. You're free to love. You are free to love. You don't have to limit your love because you might look bad. You don't have to limit your love because that is something humbling to do. You don't have to limit your love at all because you are free. Your value is settled so like Jesus. You can wash the feet of even others. And so in John 13, Jesus is going around the room washing people's, his disciples' feet, and he comes to Simon Peter, who said to them, him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And uh, maybe Peter was thinking, you know, as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, that maybe Peter's thinking, you know, you know these disciples don't get it. This is some sort of twisted lesson here. What Jesus is wanting us to say is, whoa, 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 Jesus, you can't wash our feet. You're the, you're the Messiah. Uh, it's too unworthy for you. Let us wash your feet. And, and so when he gets to, to Peter, Peter's got it. Uh, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? As in, uh, he's saying, you're not going to wash my feet. But Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. 
Just like if the Queen of England came to your house and she said, I'm going to wash your toilets, you might say, you're never going to wash your toilets. I mean, we have this thing when someone of a high status, but we just, we don't want to let them do things that are kind of humbling because, you know, it's like dishonoring or whatever it might be. And so Peter here is trying to be nice. Uh, you can't wash my feet. But then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you let me do this, Peter, you have no part with me. Because there's an important lesson here. And that is the whole point of what Jesus came to do. The whole point of what Jesus came to do is to bring us into a relationship with God. And Peter is thinking religiously. Religious people think uh, this thing with God is all about doing. I just got to do, do, do. I got to follow the rules. I got to be a slave. I got to do everything he says me to do. And, and, and how dare God serve me? I can't let God love me because it's all about me doing for God. And you fall into this religious trap with all about rules and doing. And you forget that relationships have one thing that's always in common. Any good relationship will always have the giving and receiving of love. Any good relationship will have the giving and receiving of love. You show me a marriage that's on fire and in a good way, there's a giving and receiving of love. You show me a church that is doing well. There are people who give love and receive love. And by the way, that's why some people struggle with church. And some people say, um, you, know, you know, I think church is boring. And it's often because they struggle giving love. Uh, they don't know how to give love, and so they, they're just kind of bored because part of your purpose is to give love. And, and others people think, you know, the church is kind of unloving. And sometimes it's people who struggle to receive messy love because that's what you get here. It's, 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 it's like that. I mean, any relationship is about giving and receiving love. And, and religious thinking is just, I just give. I only do, but never receive. But Jesus invites you not only to give love to him, but to receive love. And this is why a lot of people struggle in their devotional times, or even during worship, or when they go down to have a quiet time with God, because they think, all I am to do is to do. i got to pray, i got to read, i got to do, 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 do. And they just never receive. It's important that you learn to receive the love of God. That you actually allow God, if you will, to, to, to wash your, your feet. In Romans 8, it says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, which is an intimate word. I mean, you, you look at any good relationship between a child and a father, and there's this, this giving and receiving love, and there's this kind of playfulness. And, and, and it's what Jesus is teaching Peter, partly, is that, that actually you need to learn to receive. And that can be hard, because we are very much doers. And we tend to make Christianity all about doing, rather than just actually sometimes just being with God. And so we're going to take a moment and actually just do a little practice exercise, and just receiving uh, just receiving the love of God. And you can do this lots of ways. And sometimes you can just be quiet. You can take a, a Bible verse and just slowly meditate on it. Uh, you can just be, just be aware of his presence. One thing you do is listen to a song, and we're going to do that right now. It's just, uh, just to quietly listen to a song without doing, but just receiving. And the song, uh, the lyrics, uh, are, uh, are kind of coming from God. And as I teach a lot, it's good to use uh, even your imagination. You may want to just picture yourself with, with Jesus in a special spot. You may want to picture Jesus just being right next to you, with his arm around you. Uh, you may even, even more so in this scene, 
one picture of yourself in this upper room because you know if you were there, Jesus would have washed your feet. Maybe you just want to picture Jesus washing your feet. And as he's washing your feet, he's looking up with you, uh, just showing love to you, loving you to the end. And so with your imaginations going, with yourself being quiet, let's just receive the love of God through as we listen to the song.
I just encourage you to uh, bring that into your quiet times with Jesus. You give love, receive love, and not be like Peter who says, like, don't wash my feet. Well, this was Jesus' response. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Because again, relationships are giving and receiving love. Sometimes you got to let others actually serve you. And receive love. Unless you, I wash you, you have no power with me. Then, Lord, Simon, Peter replied, not just my, my, my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I think Peter got a little nervous here. He's like, you have no power with me. What? We'll just wash my whole body then. Uh, Jesus answered, all those who have had a bath, Peter had a bath, obviously, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And so he talks about, you know, if you had a bath, you don't need your whole body clean, but just your feet need to be clean. But there was someone in the room, he says, that wasn't clean. And as most scholars and commentators point out, this is kind of a figurative illustration of the life of a forgiven Christian. That is, uh, when we come into this world, or we just live in this world, we get, we get muddy. We get dirty. We fall down. And often it's because we trip on our own selves in this world and we just get mucky and dirty. Uh, to, to sin just means to miss the mark. To miss the mark of God's will, of, that we don't love as we should love, we don't serve as we should serve, we think things we shouldn't at times, and, and we get dirty and muddy, and, and sometimes we get really dirty and muddy, but the good news of Jesus is there's forgiveness. It doesn't matter how money you've gotten in this world, how dirty you've gotten in this world, there is complete forgiveness. It's like Jesus comes along and he gives us, he gives us a bath, if you will. I mean, the Bible says, though your skins, uh, sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. That you're covered in the mud, he will make you as white as snow. Or Psalm 103, he has removed from us, uh, removed, uh, he has removed our sins as far as, from us, as the east is from the west, that we are forgiven. If you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus, you, you've had a bath, if you will. Jesus has forgiven you. That's what he's saying. But at times, still as believers, we still get our feet dirty. Right. And like Peter, we need to have, our, have our, our feet cleaned. And this is why, even though we are forgiven and there's no condemnation, Jesus still teaches us that we are to confess our sin. We see in the Lord's Prayer that as the model of, of a daily of our daily prayers, that we pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us, that we, we still ask forgiveness, because even though we are cleansed and we're washed, we still have thoughts that don't line up with God, or we think about things that, in a ways that God isn't thinking, and, and, and so Jesus comes along and just daily washes our feet. 
And if you are here, and you feel muddy, and you feel dirty, and you feel, feel like you're full of shame and guilt, uh, the good news of Jesus is that he wants to wash you, and he wants to forgive you. And you just do as that song says, you come to him. Uh, you become a follower of Jesus, and you are washed, and you are washed, and you are washed. And then we just keep coming to him to get our, our feet clean every day so we can walk into his, in, in his presence in, in a beautiful way. So when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Again, Jesus knew who he was. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Uh, that if we ever say, well, I'm not washing feet, and I'm not doing that job, it's just got such a low job, then you, you just say you're greater than Jesus. And no servant is greater than his master, and there's no greater master than Jesus. Yet he was willing to do the lowest of, of tasks, and Jesus saying, I'm calling you to, to be able to do the same. That we need, no matter what your position or authority or worth is, uh, I mean, we need to be willing to do humble tasks. In fact, I was in a meeting this week with uh, a number of other pastors online, the pastors across Canada, and one, one pastor was actually talking about how whenever he... Uh, he has a, a, someone who's an up-and-coming leader that he might want to bring into a leadership position. He will always, at some point, ask them to do something really kind of like almost demeaning. He'll say, hey, you know, the nursery's really dirty. Would you go, would you mind cleaning that up? And he does that as a test of humility to see what, if, if he has what it takes to be a leader. Because kingdom leaders operate differently than worldly leaders. Uh, part of the operating in the kingdom is to, to be willing to do things as Jesus did. And, and he says that he has given us an example that we should do as I have done. Now, what makes this example powerful is we roll back to the beginning scene where we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And you remember who was in that group? Judas. The one who had already set his heart to betray Jesus. The one who paid 30, was paid 30 pieces of silver, whose heart was set against Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he washes the disciples' feet and he comes to Judas. And I guarantee you, uh, Jesus was not saying, oh, I can't believe you scratching his feet and you know, looking at you, you evil, awful person. Or I'm not washing your feet, you should be washing my feet, you pathetic little thing. Or, I, I mean, we laugh because we know Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus did exactly what he taught. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, I can see Jesus washing Judas' feet, just saying, hey, it's not too late, Judas. I have so much love for you. Let's, let's live life together. Let's do this together. But Judas still has his heart set against him. In fact, later on in John 13, it actually says that Satan filled Judas' heart. But he loved Judas. And Jesus says, I have set you an example, and I want you to do the same. I want you to do the same. Yeah, sure, it's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to wash the feet, maybe, of those who love you. But I want you to be willing to wash the feet 
of those who are even against you, who have their heart set against you, who, who have betrayed you, who have turned against you. In fact, that Jesus has his long teaching in Luke 6. And it's what's so brilliant about Jesus. He was the one teacher who actually did what he taught. <laughs> if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. That He calls us to live on a different plane than people in this world. In fact, there's a story, a true story of a gal who, uh, you know, for all life just wanted to be in a nice house. <laughs> and she finally gets to move into this beautiful little house. At uh, least she thought it was beautiful. And uh, it was great until two months later some new neighbors moved in. And these new neighbors were the obnoxious kind of neighbors who, you know, all hours of the night they had music playing and you could hear profanity coming from... Uh, from their door, uh, noise, and they would go out and urinate on the lawn in broad daylight, and just, just, just craziness. She was so angry. She was so angry, you know. And she kept praying that God would give her love, and she, she was just, she was just angry over this until one day it just got worse. The neighbor's kids came over and took orange spray paint, oh, sprayed it in her whole porch and her deck and her her furniture, and, and she just collapsed before Jesus. It's like Jesus, what in the world do I do? And as she was praying this, this verse clearly popped into her mind. Which says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And she knew she was not in harmony with her neighbors, uh, but this stuck up, clothe yourself in love. And she goes, I'm going to do that. And that's what she did. She just decided every day to put on love, and so she would... Start, she started baking for them, baked cookies for them, and, and brought them meals, and uh, babysat the kids, and invited the mother over for coffee at times. And she began to realize just how broken this family was and how much hurt they had gone through. Uh, she just began to clothe herself in, in love, and uh, she fell in love with these people, and eventually they had to move, uh, and she had tears. Uh, but she's doing what Jesus taught. I mean, the world is all about... Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You, you do this to me, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get you back worse. You don't mess with me. You don't know who I am. You don't know who my buddies are. You know? that's, that's the way the world operates. It's not how, how Jesus' followers are to operate. Uh, I mean, the Bible tells us to clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To make allowance for each other's fault and to forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And so, to help us remember this, this is what the Bible says. It's we're to clothe ourselves with love. So every day we wake up, and, and we, we, just, we just choose, because we're followers of Jesus. We put on love. He set the example, and we put it off. And you put it on, and you know, we don't take it off. And so, throughout our day... If, if, if we bump into somebody, what are they going to feel? They're, they're going to feel love. Because we've clothed ourselves in this servant-oriented, humble kind of love. And if someone doesn't like us, 
When they start pushing us, what do they feel? They, they feel love. Uh, they, they don't feel revenge. They don't feel hatred. They don't feel like I'm just going to ignore you because you're pathetic and whatever. They actually feel love. And this is what Jesus says. We are to clothe ourselves in love. Uh, we don't operate the way the world does. I mean, Romans 12 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I mean, people try to push you, and you might just get angry in the back, but, but you just remember, I've closed myself with love, and this is how, how I respond, and this is what they feel. I mean, when people touch your world, they should feel love. This is why the tax collectors, the sinners, were actually attracted to Jesus, because they felt love. From the religious leaders, they felt, you know, black, you know, if you will. Uh, you know, I'm not hanging out with you, but with Jesus, they, they felt this love. And Jesus says, uh, you are to conquer evil with, with, by, 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 doing, by doing good. And this is the one thing we must do well in. Uh, the great big commandments are love God and love people. It has to do with love. Uh, the big love chapter, in particular, the greatest of these out of faith, hope, is love. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing it through love. And it talks about how the whole law is summed up in this one command to love. And, and I know sometimes we as Christians, we can, we can get off, you know, people who, you know, teaching false doctrine. You know, doctrine's important. But the biggest false doctrine, the biggest heresy of them all is someone who says they're a Christian, but they haven't clothed themselves in love. It's the one thing we are to do the best in is to clothe ourselves with love. I mean, it's just all through the scriptures, the priority of love, because that is who God is. John 13, and we're going to see this, I think, next week. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we see the example of love is Jesus washing the feet of his enemies. And if you ever doubt what love is, 1 John 3.16 tells us that love is Christ dying on the cross for us. Love is always other-centered and sacrificial. And he says, hey, clothe yourself. I've given you an example. Would you clothe yourself in love? Now, if you need motivation, because probably all of us right now know people who are like, I don't know if I can do this. It's hard. This doesn't mean you become a doormat. I mean, Peter said, Jesus, wash all of me. What did Jesus say? No, I'll just wash your feet. I mean, you can still say no. It does not mean you have to put yourself in a risky situation or anything. But it means you must serve humbly and lovingly. But then he says this. Now, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be blessed. I mean, the word blessed, it just means made happy. Everybody wants to be happy. And Jesus is saying, here's a direct line to blessing. <laughs> if you're like, I just want blessing in my life. Here's a direct line to blessing. It's a promise. If you do these things, you are going to be blessed. Do what? Wash feet. Which we don't really do in our culture, so we do that in other ways. By serving others humbly. By doing things that nobody else is maybe wanting to do. By clothing yourself with love so that you repay evil with goodness and, and, and love. You'll be blessed if you do them. And, and, and there's lots of ways we're blessed. James 4.6 says that God opposes the proud but shows favor. It's the same Greek word as grace and favor. The same Greek word to the humble. You want God's favor to rest in your life? 
You want God's favor and grace on your marriage? You want God's favor on your business? Do the Jesus thing. Love like Jesus. Your business should somehow resemble, even if a Christian business somehow should resemble a Jesus washing feet kind of business where you do things differently than the world. Uh, marriages need to resemble a Jesus washing feet kind of marriage, and you will receive the favor of God. I mean, one of the quickest ways to get out of the favor of God is to take off love and to walk around in pride. Because you notice that it's actually an action word. God opposes the proud. It's not that he just leaves you. It's an action word. He's like, I'm actually going to oppose you because that's not kingdom. But there's someone who's doing something humble. There's someone responding to love. There's somebody who's got pushed, but they just feel love. That person I'm going to give grace to. That person's going to be filled with, with, uh, with, with favor. Um, we're blessed because God always outgives us. Given, it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And one of the most sacrificial ways of giving is not your money. It's humble service. Amen. It is especially humbly serving someone who is against you or going to betray you. That's, that's one of the most sacrificial things we can do. But you can never outgive God. You give up sacrificial service, you know it's going to come back pressed down and shaken together. And God comes back with just favor and grace and, and, and just amazing things in our life. So, uh, and, and another blessing is restored relationships. Not always. It doesn't always work. It didn't work with Jesus and Judas. But I tell you often, people can't resist love. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. And that is what binds us together in harmony. I mean, you want to see greater love in a relationship, greater love with your neighbors, greater love in the church. It is about this. It's about clothing ourselves in love and doing the Jesus thing and loving like Jesus. And finally, the blessing is kingdom advancement. If you want to advance in the kingdom, this is a key. And that's why my pastor friend always, when he's looking for leaders, will always ask them to do something really kind of humbling to see if they got what it takes to be a leader in the kingdom. Because leaders operate differently. Matthew 23, Jesus called them together, and it's after they're arguing over who is the greatest. And he says, you know that rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That this is, the kingdom world is different. Uh, we do marriage different. We do church different. We do gatherings different. We do business different. We do relationships with our horrible neighbors differently. Uh, we, we just do it differently because we clothe ourselves with love. And when we bump into people or people push us, they, they just feel, they, they, they feel love. And you're blessed. You're blessed if you do these things. In fact, Jesus fits into this. Philippians 2, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Why? We love impressing people. I like impressing people anyways. But that's just, it's a flaw in our, in our value. Our value is confirmed by who God says we are. We don't need to prove anything. Don't be selfish. Don't try to press others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 
you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbly humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, and this is the kingdom principle, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name. This is what God does. When he sees someone putting others ahead, when he sees someone go down and begin to love like Jesus and to wash feet and do those humble things and, and they're not afraid to do small tasks, all Jesus is, there is someone I want to elevate. There is someone I want to advance in the kingdom. And I tell you, if you want to move into all that God has for you, clothe yourself with love. Just clothe yourself with love. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, Father, we just pray into this as a church. And God, we all have people that are, that are difficult to love. And God, that when they push us, we just, we just want to push back. And we have all kinds of horrible words form in the back of our head, maybe. We just get frustrated. But God, I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. God, I pray you would take out every inclination of revenge or unforgiveness or bitterness. And God, you would just wash that mud clean. God, you died for us that we might be free to love. Free to love those who love us and free to love even those who do harm to us. God, I pray in our individual situations that you would speak in to us what that looks like. God, what does that look like for us? To clothe ourselves in love. God, I pray you'd speak a word of wisdom into those situations. What is one act? What is one gesture? What... How can we respond? So God, we just release uh, coats of love on all, on all of us. And God, we pray as well, as we talked about, that you would teach us to receive your love. God, that we, we would be people who give you love, yes, and do the things you say for us to do, but, but also allow you, God, to touch us and to minister to us. And God, as we move into this communion meal, God, we pray you would meet us in a powerful way. Now, this would be a time, God, where we can give and receive love to you. And God, that we are reminded of who you say we are. The final authority on who we are is not what the neighbors say. It's not what, what our spouse says. It's not what the pastor says. It's what you say. And God, we live into that. In Jesus' name.